This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 43 your podcast about all things related to digital transformation, including the people, process, and technology aspects of transformation. Uh, With me today, as always, is Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So we've got an interesting show for you today, a very focused show, I'd say. It's going to be an epic episode, not to set expectations too high, but it's going to be an epic episode focused on one topic that is top of a lot of people's minds, and that is the supply chain. So we have three different segments today talking about supply chain management. So uh, the good news is if you like and are interested in supply chain management, this is going to be a great episode for you. I suppose the bad news is if you really dislike hearing about the supply chain and want nothing to do with it, then you probably want to skip this episode and move on to the next one. But assuming uh, you're sticking with us through the episode, we've got three really good um, segments for you today. Uh, First of all, we're going to open things up with a segment just talking about recent supply chain news, sort of a lightning round overview of what's happening in the marketplace, what's happening in the supply chain industry right now. Um, We're also going to have a roundtable discussion, a panel discussion with uh, three guests later in the second segment. Uh, The guests are going to be Megan from Stopwatch, uh, a company called Stopwatch. We'll obviously describe who they are here uh, later in the show. Uh, We also have Amy Cooper, who is from a company called Kraft. And then we also have uh, Adam Cheatham, who's a director of strategy and transformation at Third Stage Consulting. And the three guests are going to join me in a roundtable just talking about why the supply chain's broken and how organizations can fix their supply chains. What are some of the things they can be doing to rethink the way they manage their supply chains, especially in light of the changes in the world and the, the state of supply chains here in the 2020s? So stay tuned for that. That promises to be a really interesting discussion with a broad set of guests there. And then finally, last but not least, uh, we're going to have Mitch on the show. Mitch is a senior consultant with Third Stage Consulting, and uh, he, or actually, he's a, he might be a manager now. I apologize. I think he's a manager now, so uh, people get promoted quickly when they perform, and he's one of those high performers at Third Stage, so he might be a manager now, but don't quote me on that. Um, and he, Mitch is going to be on the show to talk about uh, pains in the supply chain, just what are some of the pains and sort of building on and honing in on that topic, uh, building on the, the panel discussion. So great show for you today. Uh, but before we bring on those guests, uh, what uh, supply chain news, what kind of supply chain news are you seeing out there, Kyler? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to start today with kind of a global supply chain look. A lot of times we talk about things that are going on in the U.S. and can be more of uh, that type of focus. But I want to talk a little bit about what the global supply chain is actually experiencing right now. So just to give you some numbers here in the U.S., our consumer price index jumped by 6.2% in October, um, which is the sharpest annual rise in 30 years, just to set some context. Chinese producers for our global audience here, um, their index surged actually 14% um, in October. 
while um, while Europe experienced another 6% of inflation as um, we see it here. So I wanted to kind of talk about why is this truly a global issue, knowing that much of the manufacturing specifically for China um, is in, within their area. So why are they experiencing this huge inflation, almost double what the U.S. is experiencing? Yeah, so that's an interesting point. It obviously jumped out when you said it. You know, Europe and North America, or Europe and the U.S. are at that six percent range, and then you know China's more than double that. Um, that's could be partially because um, you know I think there's been a bit of inflation in China over the years, just because the demand for their products has increased and their standard of living has increased over time over the last few decades. So I think that has sort of put some uh, cost pressure on their their products. But I think, you know, just globally speaking, I think in general, organizations are experiencing um, supply chain disruptions that are increasing inflation. That's contributing to inflationary pressure. It's not just the supply chains, obviously. When you have less supply with uh, higher demand, obviously that that causes in general higher prices, but you also have, you know, monetary policy and um, government spending and things like that that are, that are uh, putting a lot of pressure on inflation. But I wonder if in China's case, uh, you know, I think they were a bit more strict early on with the lockdowns and with the quarantines and mm-hmm. sort of shutting down non-essential businesses. I just wonder if that um, that sort of uh, earlier stop with the, the whipsaw effect of starting back up uh, before much of the country or much of the rest of the world started up again. I wonder if that's just now we're feeling the, you know, sort of the after effect of that those uh, more drastic measures they took. I, that's pure speculation. I'm not an economist, so I couldn't tell you for sure, but that those are a couple of things that come to mind. Yeah, definitely. I, I know a lot of the materials in which I researched showcase just how really detrimental a lockdown for COVID-19 can be to a local mm-hmm. economy, even when you're one of the world superpowers such as China. Right. Um, so that brings me to kind of my my next topic that I wanted to discuss with you, and that's actually the shipping industry and what their experience had been. And I, I guess in even being in the supply chain world, as that's something that um, you know I, I do for a living here at Third Stage, I didn't realize the really crazy growth of the shipping industry and what that has a rippling effect on the overall organizations that are trying to pay for freight. We talk about anything from you know a, a huge multi-million dollar organization to a small business or even an, an FBA, a fulfilled by Amazon business that needs to pay for these, these freight prices. Um, so just to give you an idea, they've experienced a, a massive amount of growth throughout this entire um, global trade. They make up about 90% of it now, which is pretty crazy. Um, and then a, it's basically the way that they uh, they described it here is it's basically like paying for an Uber, but it's the price of the car um, type of thing. So just the the huge amount of pricing that goes into or the expense that goes into the shipping and industry. So I wondered when we talk about government regulations, which I know you you know kind of had that panel discussion of what role does the the government play within this, but how can you how can you, as a government or regulatory industry, take what's going on right now when it comes to shipping fees and see if you might 
put in some policies that would bring down those fees in order to kind of loosen up or shake loose the bottleneck. You know, my need, I'll give you my knee jerk reaction, which is not well thought through and uh, <laughs> uh, arguably uh, risky for me to say this in a public setting. But I think, you know, when you get the government to politicians, people that know absolutely nothing about, about the supply chain, right. that terrifies me to think of them trying to figure out a policy to uh, improve the supply chain, because I, I don't think they know what they're doing when it comes to the supply chain. So you figure if professionals are having this hard of a time getting supply chains under control, I don't know that the government's going to have the answer. Um, so that's, you know, maybe getting too, um, too political (laughs) or sharing too much about my political beliefs, but, um, but I do think it's, there's truth to it. So I don't know that, uh, and that is a question I want to ask the panel uh, later Mm -hmm. today. And it's a question I've asked a lot of people recently, just because I'm interested more than anything is, is, you know, regardless of your political beliefs, should the government be involved? Um, do you think they'll be involved? You know, that's a question I want to ask the experts later is regardless of what you think, uh, do you think they will get involved? And I know here in the United States, for example, uh, the U.S. government is there's talk of them potentially taking a more active role in the supply chain. So I don't know what you would do if you're the government other than say, you know, for for example, the U.S., one thing they're doing that I, th- I suppose is probably helpful in the long term is they are uh, keeping ports open 24-7, some of the higher volume ports like in California. Um, so that, I suppose, helps because that, that frees up a bottleneck there. Um, I think the challenge you have, though, is that the, the fundamental problems with, with the supply chain right now are actually, to your point, uh, they're actually unintentional consequences of other government policies. So mm-hmm. shutting things down because of COVID, whether or not you agree that that was the right answer doesn't matter because it, it happened. So the government did it, and now we're paying for it via the supply chain uh, bottlenecks. You add to the fact that now you have uh, vaccine mandates that are mm-hmm. causing a certain displacement of employees. It's causing a certain amount of employees to quit or be fired because they're not vaccinated and they're not complying with corporate or governmental regulatory uh, vaccine mandates. That's creating issues. And you could still argue, you can argue all you want that that's the right answer. That's the net uh, best thing that that's best for the uh, for society, that's okay. But we just have to recognize that that now has a unintended consequence of furthering the supply chain issues. And that's why I think the supply chain is going to get worse is because at least in the United States, I know there's some mandates that are coming up this month into early next year that's, that's really triggering a, a wave of departures or terminations of, of employees, a lot of them in trucking, a lot of them in warehouses and uh, other companies that function in the supply chain. So I guess what I'm saying, long way of saying, I don't know that they have the answers. I, I think the yeah. answers are that you've got to be able to retain talent. You, you know, better technology can help uh, improve processes. There's a lot of stuff we're going to talk about with the panel later today, but I don't know that the government is the one to do that. And I don't know if they would even know where to begin. Um, maybe I'm underestimating the capabilities of politicians, but I'm, I've always been a bit skeptical of politicians. So I apologize to those of you that are politicians that might be listening <laughs> to the show. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think it the thesis of, of that statement based on what you're saying is is there is it's so complex, right? Yes. That having any sort of policy that kind of blankets one piece of the industry is really difficult because what would that policy say? You know, and, and we really yeah. have to think through kind of all of these emergency um, ex or executive orders as we call them here in the United States. And what that trickle down effect is for our everyday consumer or businesses. And, and again, just to put some numbers behind it, 
the, they estimate that it's the maritime research consultancy that looks at all of these and kind of does these studies that um, by the end of 2021, they will collectively, the shipping companies earn up to a hundred billion. Um, and that forecast is actually tripling to March, 2022. And just to put it in perspective, because I know that helped me, that is the same league as Titan companies such as Apple. So it is, you know, a huge, huge growth area um, to actually look at what that means. And I, I think you said it perfectly of, you might not be able to control that, but you can assimilate your supply chain as a core competency, a core competency, excuse me, and um, make sure that it's optimized and really functioning at the highest level it can. Um, and yeah. I know we'll, we'll kind of talk more about that later. I think another thought, though, too, that, you know, playing devil's advocate with myself and what I said earlier, <laughs> and to your, to your point is that, you know, you think about uh, one part of the government that is good at supply chain is, is the military, generally, mm -hmm. you know, for, for most government entities, the, the military does supply chain well, because they have to, they have to figure out how to get troops and supplies and equipment, military gear, all that stuff to wherever they need to get it, and they need to do it quickly. So I, I guess there's an argument to be made that may, does the military take a role? And right. shipping, in your example, if, you, if we're short on, on truck drivers or trucks themselves, can the military help? Maybe. Uh, I think that might scare a lot of people, especially in the United States, where mm -hmm. a lot of us are, uh, you know, all about freedom and not having too much of a government role. So that might freak some people out. But uh, military, maybe that's an option. Maybe that's one way. I know, um, like with uh, COVID um, and some of the vaccine mandates that are causing um uh, frontline health workers to be terminated in some cases. I know that there's, I don't know if they're already doing this or if they're planning to do it, mm -hmm. but the United, the U.S. government's talking about bringing in the National Guard to help fill some of those roles. So you think, okay, could could or should the U.S. government or other governments bring in the military to help with trucking and supply chain management, moving stuff around however they need to? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily love the idea, but uh, it, it's, it's an option for sure. Yeah, and I think it's a, a, a cultural um, it's important to, to understand the cultural strategy, um, right? Like in Germany, they have a lot of supply chain regulations, mandates, those types of things, because that's what makes sense for their country. Obviously, from just an overall logistics and footprint, they're much smaller than a country like the United States and just culturally different. They're more used to heightened government interaction over here in the United States. We've, we've never really been that. We're, we're run by a lot of times a local government more than federal regulations. So, you know, taking into account what that might look like, but I know the National Guard had helped at hospitals in New York and they had been helping at some of the LA ports and just supporting those kind of high, um, high experiencing areas that are either have a labor scarcity or just an inability to handle the amount of, of work when it comes to the ports that they actually have. So. That brings me kind of to my next question, um, which is also about government. So, you know, just to set expectations, but we in the United States here have a new supply chain dashboard that I wanted to ask you about. So basically, just to give you a, a quick overview is, is this dashboard that is run and managed by the White House. Um, is a twice monthly collection of metrics that track the progress of imports and goods that are being come into the country. Um, and a lot of this information allows us to hopefully see any blockage or blockchains in the supply chain. Um, what I wanna ask you about, because the main piece of criticism 
is that twice monthly metrics, there's no way you can get real actionable data out of that for a long time is what a lot of supply chain experts had said. So I wanted to get your reaction to that and saying like putting all of this, the, these resources into a supply chain dashboard that might not give actionable data. Is that a good idea? Um, I suppose it doesn't hurt. I just, I, I think I'm leaning towards maybe where you're going with that, which is that, you know, it's sort of like what you're saying about how each country and culture is different in the way, you know, they interact with the government and regulations and things like that. Same with the supply chain. I mean, different supply chain or different pieces of the supply chain have different issues that, okay, we can measure it all we want. First of all, I'd argue that it's probably too late by the time the government compiles all this data from presumably multiple sources and um, publishes and all that stuff. Um, I, I suspect that it's outdated by the time they put it out and it doesn't mean a whole lot. But let, even if you assume that it, it, it is timely or relatively timely to where you could do something with it, it doesn't really give you any sort of answer or doesn't state any problems that we don't already necessarily know. And it certainly doesn't tell us what individual organizations should be doing to mm -hmm. improve their supply chains by any means. And each organization is going to have different challenges. Some, so one company might be struggling with shipping issues, not enough truck drivers, not enough trucks. Uh, another one might be struggling with not enough warehouse workers, um, you know, lack of raw materials coming from some country or some provider that the government doesn't even know about. So there's just so many, to your point earlier, it's such a complex uh, set of moving parts that those metrics are going to be super high level and probably aren't going to be hugely beneficial. Now, having said that, I haven't looked at the dashboard. I didn't know it existed. So it's kind of cool to know that it's gotten that level of visibility. Um, so I'd have to see what's in the metrics, but um, I suspect it's not going to tell you a whole lot about what to do or give any sort of answers to the, to the problems. Yeah, a lot of the feedback on um, bigger industry CEOs is is thank you very much, but we actually already have all this this data, you know. So yeah. um, it's I think it's just a way for us to decide, specifically in the U.S. and other countries globally, really, how do you make your supply chain resilient? You know how how yeah. do you make it so that even when we are experiencing these these really huge disruptions how can your supply chain not completely fall apart like a lot of a lot of them have right now so i think that's probably what the goal is although we've we've always known that government isn't really the best practice in data management so maybe it's right. a positive move on their end to actually utilize some data driven activities within their decision making we'll see it could also be an expectation setting too you know a lot of um what I've noticed with the governments, uh, primarily in the U.S., which is the one that you and I see the most of, but we have offices throughout the world that interact with other governments. But um, part of it, it seems like that there's expectation setting that this isn't going to get better anytime soon. And it's sort of like setting the expectation to American uh, voters that this is just how it's going to be. So we're not mm -hmm. expecting too much, I guess you'd say. So that could be part of it. They've got this dashboard that's telling us all along that things are screwed up and it quantifies what we're all seeing and feeling. So therefore we're not going to expect it to get better anytime soon. I don't know. That, that could be part of it. It could be a political game more than anything, but that's the, uh, that's the skeptic in me. Uh, <laughs> speaking there. That's okay. Skeptic skepticism is good. So um, my next question for you, Eric, cause you know, I love to put you on the spot is um, they have identified five areas in consumer goods. So five different categories that will be the most 
affected or that will be in the most short supply, according to a new Adobe Digital Insight survey. So I wondered if you would guess some of the categories that or, uh, we, that you Christmas shoppers out there or holiday shoppers or whatever your family celebrates during this time of year um, might want to just put on the top of your list as a priority to get sooner than later. Okay, so this is specifically for Christmas, right? For the Christmas holiday season? It is um, that are in short supply right now. So we'll call okay. it holiday season-ish. Okay, leading into the holiday season. There you All go. Right. So I would say electronics or anything that require chips of sorts, computers, um, electronics, is that one of them? Ding, ding, I need like a dinger, like ding, ding, yeah. ding. Yes, good yeah. job. Okay, uh, automobiles. I don't know if that's part of their study, but automobiles seem like they're in short supply right now. That is, I think that's not on the list, but definitely something that obviously we've done a lot on. Um, so must not be number on six. If I must have been getting number six confused with what I know is number oh. five. Um, <laughs> All right, so it's not automobiles. Then I'd say, uh, uh, do they track? It's not really a gift, though. Is it, it have to be something you would buy for someone? Like gasoline is one I was going to say. Uh, gasoline would be there's shortages. It seems it's, like throughout the world, it's there. more retail items. Okay, we're focusing okay. on that. But you're reminding me so much of what it means to like play games with my husband right now. Because when you are a, a, a digital operations consultant, it's like 1500 questions. And you're like, just roll the dice, man. Like, just go. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I have to over. I'm not used to just pointing, like, give right. me a yes, no, or a specific yes. Or, I have to get more information. That's the consultant in me. Um, uh, let's see. Well, uh, anything with metals. I'm just trying to think, like, toys with metals or uh, anything with, oh, jewelry. There you go. Oh, yeah, jewelry. Okay. Oh, okay. That, that would include diamonds and gold and mm -hmm. silver, all that stuff that is in short supply right now. Um, and probably holds its value better than a lot of other stuff too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've got two of the five. Um, what else? Uh, do, 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 do. I'm trying to think of like toys. I'm just, I'm stuck on toys, but clothing. Um, what about just clothing and apparel in general? Yep. That's number three. Good job. Yeah. That's all coming from uh, Asia Pacific, and that's right. you know the things are slow as it is, and now you're bringing stuff from Asia Pacific, which is even uh, slower for a lot of the world, at least you know U.S., Europe, and some other parts of the world. Um, okay, so I guess I'm I, I don't know where else to go from there. We've yeah. Probably so the last two are kind of tricky. So it's pet supplies, so oh. pet food, you know, all those hmm. types. If you're going to dress up your pet for you know, the holidays, you should. I would have never guessed that. So I'm glad yeah. you just. And then uh, home and garden items were the other things that they had had seen in the, oh, yeah. the study is just um, getting those types of things. Um, that one makes sense. The pet supply one surprises me, but the yeah. home and garden, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And then the popular toys, just so all the, you know, parents listening out there, the pop fidgets, do your kids use those? No, the really? like fidget spinners or these? No, different? they're like, um, they like pop out. They're like impossible to explain if you've never seen one. But my kids who are toddlers really like them. I think they're more for like teenage, preteen kids is what the target is. But they're great for me because if they eat them and put them in their mouth, they're big enough that we're not all going to choke. So, and then the fairy finder, no idea what that is. Bluey toys um, and then the got to glow. So those are the oh. ones on the list. Don't know any of those except for the pop fidgets. 
I don't, yeah, I don't know any of them. I guess my kids are either too old or too young. I don't, I don't know which, but. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, and then the, the electronic discounts that usually we see around the Black Friday type of time, um, they're going to be a little bit less this year is what the, the study had said. Um, but toy discounts will be higher, they said this year. So just mm -hmm. a, a little key insights for holiday shopping. Good to know. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I should probably start shopping then. I haven't I know. started yet. That's exactly what I was thinking um, as we were going through this exercise of saying like, oh man, I've, we better get on it. Um, so yeah. I'll have to, you know, give Adam, my husband, a little nudge if he's going to order me any jewelry, which he would never do because we have two under two kids and um, we can't have nice things. So maybe someday. Right. <laughs> when they're older, give it yeah. 10 years. <laughs> right, right. Someday. <laughs> Well, I think with that, um, you know, that that's some kind of hot topic swirling around in the supply chain, but I'm so excited to hear from your panel of experts here um, that all have really interesting views and yeah. feedback around the supply chain. Yeah, let's get to it. I, we um, And speaking of Adam, you just mentioned your husband, Adam, he will oh, yeah. be one of the three uh, panelists on the, uh, the discussion here. We'll also have uh, Megan Bowman from, she's the CEO of a company called Stopwatch, which makes uh, software related to the supply chain. And then Amy Cooper, who works with a company called Kraft, not the, not the food company, but a technology company called Kraft with a C. And uh, they make uh, software specific for the supply chain as well. So we're going to have the three of them on here after we take a quick break. And we're going to talk more about uh, why the supply chain is broken and how to fix it. So that's going to be a, a fascinating topic that I'm really excited for. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 43. I'm here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find us with new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the audio podcast platforms like uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, etc. So be sure to check us out with new episodes every Wednesday. And uh, I'm excited for our next segment here. We're going to have a segment to talk about um, why the supply chain is broken and how to fix it. And we have three guests on the show today. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to have uh, Megan Bowman, who's with a company called Stopwatch, uh, Amy Cooper from a company called Kraft, and then Adam Cheatham from Third Stage Consulting, who all, actually all three of these guests have been on our podcast before at different times. So we're going to have them all in one discussion here to talk about the supply chain. So with all that being said, uh, welcome to the show, and let's let's run through some introductions real quick. Thanks, Eric. Um, my name is Megan Bowman. I'm the founder and CEO of Stonehenge Technology Lab. Uh, but that has built a, a, a robust platform called Stopwatch that's designed for consumer goods companies to be able to track all of their um, activities 
uh, almost like an ERP wrapper uh, between Amazon, Target, um, anything online and offline. So uh, we kind of play in that middle space between, um, you know, products coming in the back door and, and getting to the shelves uh, physically and digitally and helping uh, brands and manufacturers uh, move quickly uh, with kind of a gamified um, interface and um, kind of an ERP upgrade is what we what we like to call it. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. And so that that'll be uh, as we talk about retail and distribution and some of the things that happen on that customer facing side of the supply chain. I'm sure you will have a lot to add there, among other things that we'll talk about here today. So uh, thanks for being here. So, Amy from Kraft, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and about Kraft. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for having me, Eric. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Uh, Kraft is a leading supplier intelligence platform, and we are helping um, supply chain and procurement professionals discover, evaluate, monitor their suppliers to create that stronger supply chain resilience that everyone's talking about today. Um, we do that through comprehensive, complete supplier data, both traditional and alternative um, data points. So everything from financial, operational, human capital, but then cybersecurity, diversity, ESG, um, you know, ad additional indicators of, of risk that by combining all of these things together, we're able to elevate those lenses and really see the total picture of what's happening rather than traditionally just looking at, for instance, a credit score. So um, my background, I am in enterprise sales with Kraft. Um, previously, I was uh, at Dun & Bradstreet and Gartner within their supply chain. So I've been circling risk and data and supply chain for a very long time. And I think uh, where the industry is going in terms of holistic data and looking at more than just those traditional pieces is, is really fascinating. And it's, and it's driving um, some impactful results for our clients. So thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation today. Absolutely. Great to have you. And uh, I'm hearing a theme here so far. We're kind of talking about alternatives to your, your usual uh, ERP-ish type of software. So we'll, we'll dive into that as we get into the discussion here. So uh, last but not least, Adam from Third Stage Consulting. Tell us a little bit about yourself in uh, Third Stage. Yep. So Adam Cheatham, Third Stage Consulting Group, I'm Director of Strategy and Transformation. <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, so Third Stage helps with uh, clients who are trying to find a better fit of enterprise system for what it is they're doing. Um, as far as supply chain comes into it, you know, we're seeing a lot of things today with clients who are trying to get a better look at what their supply chain even looks like. You know, how, um, how do I know when things are going to show up and how do I respond to when they're going to be late? Um, and, and how do I find that out as quickly as possible, right? So um, there's so many of our clients find out today that something's going to be late after it's very late and they want to know where where it is, where is this? Um, this uh, this raw material or this finished good that I that I ordered. So what we've been finding a lot from our clients is that's a big part of their challenge. <clears throat> we also we also have many uh, clients that are on the flip side of that where they supply a raw material which is in high demand and they can't get it out the door fast enough um, to the point where um, they're they're having they're they're losing customers because their customers are trying to find some other alternative and so if they can't be responsive um, and and get their materials into the, the hands of their customers, they were losing that relationship. Um, so the we, we're seeing the supply chain shortage on, on both sides, right? And, uh, part of it from the folks that demand the supply, of course, um, but also the folks that are supplying raw materials and things like that that are necessary for uh, meeting the needs of their customers. Um, at third stage, how we help with those types of customers is, uh, and clients is 
by first focusing on your business processes and and by understanding if there's anything that you can do internally without software without um finding new vendors or suppliers to improve your processes and get a little bit more out of the systems maybe the systems that you already have the processes that are in place maybe get a little bit leaner there um, maybe there's a little bit more planning that we can start looking farther ahead i uh, think about what our lead times are um, not what you think they are because your system wishes that that's what they were uh, but because uh, but uh, from a perspective of what they're actually looking like so that's where we help a lot of um, from a supply chain perspective got it all right well great well great to have you all on the show thanks for thanks for being here um so i'm just going to jump right in i mean it, it probably the the broadest biggest question on a lot of people's minds is uh what are some of the biggest challenges in in the supply chain today so i guess we'll start with you amy what what are some of the biggest challenges that you see with supply chains and, and that your customers are seeing with supply chain management in general yeah that's a that's a great question um so it, it runs the gamut. So what we're seeing is there are significantly varying levels of maturity within our within the organizations we're working with. And so if we think about the top challenges right now, certainly um, globalization and reshoring, right? So customers trying to think through how are we smart about bringing back some of the manufacturing. So some of the challenges with China around, you know, the tariffs and forced labor and um, obviously shipping and port congestion issue. So getting getting goods back over here. Um, so customers are, and organizations are trying to figure out how do they do that effectively without, because um, you can't just pick up and move your manufacturing. You can't just pick up and change this entire process that has been built out and executed over the last 30 years. So how how are you strategic um, in kind of building your supply chain globally, regionally, and then um, locally? And so that's that's one really big key challenge or big key um, common theme that we're hearing about. Um, the next I would say is um, certainly um, initiatives and, and strategic thought around diversity and sustainability. So um, understanding a, a baseline uh, of who you're spending or, or your spend with diverse suppliers, um, <clears throat> how can you improve that? How can you create an impact in your local community, in your regional area? So um, that is certainly top of top of mind for many customers. Um, from a sustainability standpoint, there's kind of different tiers of that. So um, the first and, and the most basic is regulatory, right? So there are certain regulations that are being put in place around sustainability where you have to meet these, these, uh, these metrics. The second would be then um, from a, a brand perspective. So there's, there's a lot of interesting statistics out there right now around um, younger consumers and them wanting to select from brands that are um, not only committed to sustainable practices and, and improving, um, you know, it, it improving our world through their business, um, but they're they're certainly voting with their dollars, and they're actually then protesting when when organizations are not meeting those needs or. Um, you know, there's a flag of forced labor within a supply chain for, I'm sure Megan knows a lot about this on, on the retail side. Um, and so, so there's that brand awareness that, that, 
that um, organizations are looking at. And then at the top level is really creating sustainable change. So there's organizations like SPP, the Sustainable Procurement Pledge, uh, the UN Global Compact, where um, organizations are joining and committing to working together. They're not necessarily um, trying to keep their competitive competitive edge, they're working together to drive significant change that's impactful. So that's another big piece. Um, I think that the other big um, the other big theme we're, we're seeing is really digging down in, into multi-tier, really understanding your entire supply chain. So there's, um, there's all sorts of new regulations coming from President Biden. There's a new supply chain. Um, uh, act in Germany that requires that you know everyone um, and you are liable if there's some if there's um, an infraction in, in one of those suppliers. And so there's certainly um, customers are and, and organizations are really looking to dig deep and to dig down many, many levels to understand where those risks are. And then um, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention cyber. So that's on top of mind for everyone because there's there's so many um, news stories of, of cyber breaches and, and the impact is so great. So we're certainly seeing um, a big awareness and the supply chain teams working with the CIOs to really dig into this cybersecurity issue. And how do we, how do we impact that within the supply chain? Yeah, it's a great, great overview. And it, you know, it, it brings to light the the whole point that it's, you know, when there is a supply chain problem or breakdown, as we're seeing that seeing now, it's not any one thing, you know, a lot of times it's these little things that sort of add up and trickle throughout the entire supply chain. And uh, any one of the things you just mentioned can create problems. But when you add up all those things, and they all happen together, which is oftentimes happening nowadays, uh, that creates a lot of the challenge. All right, good stuff. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back to this discussion because we're covering a lot of really good stuff about why the supply chain is broken and how to fix it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, the podcast about all things digital transformation. This is episode number 43. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the usual uh, audio podcast platforms. We're right in the middle of a panel discussion regarding the supply chain, why it's broken, and how to fix it. So let's jump right back into the conversation. I think, Amy, you hit 
so many, like, I actually got kind of stressed thinking about what you're saying. <laughs> I was like, oh, um, so uh, forgive me a minute, I'm, I'm calming down. Um, I think another kind of thing uh, more on the on the lead indicators, uh, not necessarily in the lag, um, would be uh, consumer behavior. I mean, it's just, it's just changing. When my son sends me a text of a shirt that he wants, um, you know, it's not through, you know, the Gap or Nike or even Amazon or Walmart. I mean, it is, it, it's through some, you know, uh, social media channel that he just saw it and he bought it. And, um, and so I think there's, as the consumers are moving around quite a bit, um, you know, at least from our vantage point, um, there's more places to distribute and sell. And so, you know, Amy, to your point, you're having a trouble getting into the back end, right? Like, just getting it to your spot. But then on top of that, um, the, the continued pressure to, uh, you know, get to the consumer as quickly as possible, whether it's a, you know, DoorDash delivery or, you know, a quick shipment or they run and pick it up or whatever. And so there's pressure mounting on, you know, on the, that side too, where uh, we see a lot of suppliers um, and retailers making really unprofitable, unscalable decisions to kind of just win that space for right now. And I think combined with what Amy's talking about from that, you know, just complexity on the back end, um, you know, it, it, the math only holds up for so long. And so I think um, I think that's a, another big challenge. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a fun fun time to be in the space. No no shortage of of stressors. Well, I think what's what's the most interesting to me about about this is this is all happening right as uh, consumer expectations have have really shifted. Um, you know, you can kind of, there's an argument to be made that 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 was starting to happen um, before uh, before COVID came around, but COVID has made that so much so uh, that. I want to have it delivered to my door and i want to know um when it leaves each facility along the way so i can track it so that i know exactly the moment i, I mean i could see the driver on my app coming towards my house with my stuff um and that expectation um you know while that's uh that's a consumer level expectation that's been set it, it applies to businesses as well, not only because the businesses have to meet that expectation, but they also have that expectation of their partners now because everybody knows that it's possible and everybody knows that I can see this. And as you start to um, have stressors to, to the supply chain, people want to double down on where's my stuff? Because um, now that they know that there's a risk that stuff's not coming, um, uh, that they, they want to be able to to see it more clearly and have more transparency in it. So you kind of have this reinforcing nature, which is um, the more lag I have, the more control I want to have over it. And the, uh, as I as I start to see more about that lag and what's happening, the more I get stressed out, the more I want to change my behavior to fix it. And it just creates this cycle that everybody wants to be able to fix. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the things that I, I think is, um, we've seen a number of times, um, is many of our clients have a challenge where it's it's not the actual raw materials for their finished goods that they're having trouble with it's um cardboard and pallets uh it's like they, you know we've, we've had clients like i could make as much product as i want but i can't ship it because i don't have pallets um we, we have one client go so far as to buy a pallet company to solve this problem um, so that it's it's an interesting type of a, a concept because when you think about um, 
<clears throat> getting product out the door, it's not just that packaged item. It's everything else that goes out with it, including the, the plastic wrap. I'm sure that'll come up at some point too. Um, and getting things out the door so that uh, <clears throat> we're meeting the, the, the needs of consumers. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And actually a great segue into a follow-up question, which is, you know, we talked about some of these challenges that, that the supply chain in general is facing. And then there's a whole gamut of challenges, a whole variety of things that are contributing to the, to the challenges. But um, Adam, why don't we start with you on this one? But how do you, how do these challenges that we just talked about, um, how do they affect organizations and their operations? And how do you see them reacting? You talked about the client that bought the pallet company. That was one reaction or one way that you could react is do more of that kind of vertical integration of the supply chain or to where you at least have control over over it to some degree. But what else are we seeing, you know, with our client base um, as far as how clients are responding to the, to this, these supply chain challenges? Yeah, that's a uh, fantastic question. And, and of course, every client has its own response. But the, the general common theme is being able to have greater visibility. Uh, they want to know where things are at and they want um, and, and when it's coming. And then the, the next natural uh, response uh, for most of our client is diversification, uh, especially for, for clients who have had challenges where uh, they're dependent on one vendor for one raw material. Uh, what we've started seeing is a lot of our clients will start to say, well, I can um, I need to start adding vendors to my uh, my list here, um, not only from a perspective of I need to have more than one, but they also start having uh, conversations about quality. Right. Normally, my my demand for quality is very high, but right now my demand for speed is higher. So we've seen clients uh, being willing to say, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be less expensive. It just needs to get here as soon as possible. We'll figure the rest out from there. Um, and what that, that's causing those a continued chain effect, which is now the supplier is paying more for that raw material. And as they resell it in one way or another, their prices are going up. Um, and and that the level of the level of visibility that's um, not being achieved is compounded because now I have somebody whose uh, raw material price went up and their their price of their finished good needs to be connected to that. But they're not seeing it as clearly as they'd like to because that raw material price goes up. They buy it and then they put it into their system to be used as a as a um, as a raw material to turn into a finished good. And they haven't costed that differently. So their price remains the same and their profits are getting chewed up by that increase in costs that they've ex either accepted or was a surprise to them uh, because they don't have the visibility in their system. So those are some of the more common responses with um, getting more vendors uh, um, and, and loosening up on some of the, the more rigid uh, parameters, cost, quality, um, and in favor of lead time. Yeah, it seems like that there's a lot of um, the supply chains of today have been built for sort of a pre 2020 world where cost and quality were sort of the, the biggest priorities. And now, you know, you've mentioned a couple, Amy, you mentioned sustainability earlier, you know, now there's these other considerations, um, sustainability, flexibility, speed. These are all things now that supply chains weren't necessarily built for prior to 2020, but now they're being strained partly because of the, you know, the world has just completely shifted in the last couple of years with the pandemic and changing customer behavior and all that stuff. Uh, Amy and Megan, what, what else, what did we miss? What other, uh, 
impacts are you seeing to organizations or reactions are you seeing from your customer base in terms of how they how they deal with this what are they doing to try and fix some of these problems yeah across the board um, we are seeing organizations prior to 2020 everyone would react to a risk or react to a disruption now organizations they're expecting them and they're planning for them so to some of the, the items that adam spoke to um they are absolutely planning expecting uh, i have one customer in the phar pharmaceutical industry who has, has stockpiled three years of supply for their for their key products and imagine that overhead to carry all of the all of those all of that i mean it's it's an enormous um, financial undertaking but it's required for them to be able to maintain their business operations, so they're willing to do it. Uh, we have an A&D customer in aerospace and defense. Um, they have um, made sure that all of their parts are within 12 hours of their manufacturing lo locations. And so um, there's a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of things like that where organizations are completely changing their strategy and their policies to proactively um, try and get a handle on some of these risks that keep popping up and that they've learned are are inevitable. I think that the fragility of um, the supply chain was really highlighted with COVID as different parts of the world shut down, as workers couldn't go into these different facilities. Um, that just kind of highlighted these these challenges and these problems that have been percolating for a long time. Um, and it just tipped it, it tipped the scale. And now we're seeing that cascade of every of the fallout of that. Um, and, and it's going to unfortunately take a long, long time to recover. Um, you know, Vietnam is is a huge manufacturing hub, hub now, and they've just come out of their second set of quarantine at the beginning of October. So getting all of those sites back up and running to deliver the goods, it's a slow roll. So now they're out of it, but who's going to be the next the next location globally where they're stuck? So I certainly think, um, you know, being um, being proactive and thinking that there's going to be challenges here. So what do we need to adjust? And, you know, prior to 2020, um, the supply chain, I, I don't even think consumers knew what the supply chain did. It just is something your, your things just arrived. You clicked a button on Amazon and it just got there. And no one thought twice about how that was going, like the logistics of what had to happen at all the different steps. And so now people understand it. And there's, um, to Megan's point, with the way consumers are responding, they're demanding change and they're demanding things be uh, be more efficient. They're demanding they understand where things are coming from. They're demanding they understand how things are made. So it's, it's a complete shift in the paradigm of supply chain and, and how we're um, how we're consuming it, how organizations are are managing it. Um, it's just it's going to continue continue to change. I think the top three goals. Um, Gartner just released their CSCO report, and I think it was risk management, digitization, and then the work from home. Like, how do we manage, especially in some of these manufacturing locations, how do we manage our workforce to keep people safe and, and continue to deliver the goods? So it's a very complex, um, complex set of challenges that, that I think are going to take a very long time um, to start to tackle. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and you, you mentioned Vietnam and, you know, I, I wasn't aware that they just had a, another quarantine or lockdown. So it's, it, but that's a good example of how, you know, wherever we are in the world, there's 
other parts of the world are in different places and having different responses and that's affecting the supply chain globally in uneven ways like that. So that's really, really interesting point. Um, Megan, what else? What about more from the, you know, sort of the retail distribution customer facing side? How, how are you seeing, is there anything different you're seeing your customers do to react to the supply chain or anything we haven't covered yet? Um, I think I, I really like what Amy and Adam have shared, um, especially around, Amy, when you said, you know, they're changing policies. Like, we never said that three years ago. Like, policies did not change, right? Um, we've all been part of really stiff, big, you know, expensive, profitable organizations where, like, to change a policy is, you know, a decade-long kind of opportunity, right? <laughs> Adam's laughing. <laughs> um, and, you know, each person within that organization has different, you know, tolerance for that understanding. I was always kind of a firecracker that just couldn't, like, like couldn't combust, you know, if, if there was something that inefficient. Um, but what I think, what I think we're seeing is not only the policies changing, but leaders are a lot more open to us coming in and saying, "Hey, you've got an incentive problem here." Like, like you can change the policy, but like if your procurement lead is still being incentivized on lowering their carrying cost, he or she is not going to make the decision that's more of a long-term strategic play to stockpile, you know, three years worth of materials in a pharmaceutical company. And so, you know, going back to like, you know, Eli Goldblatt and the goal, I mean, you have to make sure that not only the policies are changing, but also the humans that are, you know, incentivized either, um, you know, um, consciously or unconsciously, right, um, are making those changes as well. So um, I can give an example. Um, you know, we deal with a with a major beauty manufacturer, and um, you know, some of their stuff was late, and Target, you know, couldn't um, take it all, right? So all of a sudden, they have all this, you know, excess holiday, and it's you know November, you know, ninth. Okay, well, um, you know, these teams were never incentivized to actually talk to each other. Right. So the Amazon team would come in and take all the excess inventory, throw it online, tank the price, piss Walmart off, you know, piss Target off. Like, and there's just all this inviting. Well, yesterday we were in a war room with leaders from every single one of the retailers to say, guys, how do we like collectively move this inventory to maintain, you know, the, the, um, you know, the integrity that we have with, tar you know, with Target to maintain, you know, the, the promise we have in the markdown levels and that level of just kind of cross channel collaboration. The retailers don't like it because they like to keep people, you know, pretty, pretty motivated to just do what they want to do. But what we talk to brands and manufacturers a lot about is, um, you know, the minute that you break down those silos and incentivize those individual leaders across separate retailers or separate channels to actually, you know, act together for the good of the company, um, you know, we're seeing significant increases. So in, you know, in my area, companies that are breaking down those silos and actually kind of war rooming in real time across multiple retailers are, are outperforming, you know, the old school, you know, kind of siloed like 10 to one. Um, and so, you know, um, how are people reacting? I think in our industry, uh, you know, consumer goods, we're seeing some people do it really, really well. Um, and it's, you know, policy to people kind of thing. And we're seeing other people um, or other companies kind of struggle with it. And it you know, it, it's some combination of policy and people and speed. Um, so at the end of the day, it's, you know, you talk about it a lot, Eric, it's change management. And how do you motivate people to 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 not only you know know the new rules, but to take advantage of them. 
um, is is really where we're seeing some some dramatic shifts in good ways and bad ways. I mean, you know, it's not always when you're shifting, you know, Amy, to your point, when there's like years of, you know, a backlog of you know policies and things like you're going to make moves that are going to hurt something or someone unintentionally you just can't you got to move so fast that you can't uncover all of the unintended consequences and i think the key thing for leaders is to be really listening for those and the minute that somebody gets their you know gets their tail stuck or whatever that you know it's back to the war room okay we didn't anticipate that how do we change how do we move um and a lot of that just comes down to um, you know, data availability, um, data democratization, um, you know, data interpretation across all levels of the of the organization, and, um, and it, it gets really fun. It gets fun when um, you know more perspectives are at the table, making uh, big decisions in real time. Yeah, you, you hit some really good points there, and I think it um, I think it really underscores this idea or the the fact that it's not as easy as. We, we, it's not as easy to fix the supply chain as just order more stuff, you know, just stockpile more stuff, get three years of inventory, like the pharmaceutical example you gave Amy. It's not that easy because, uh, well, first of all, you may not have the systems to know how much you, you need to order. You may not have the right processes in place. You may not have the right incentives or the right organizational roles and responsibilities and compensation and all that stuff. So there's a ton of human behavior that needs to change in order for especially these bigger organizations to adapt. Uh, and I think that's, that could be part of the problem we're seeing is it's not as easy as, you know, we can all force it here and say, well, just why don't people just order more stuff or get it there faster? I mean, how hard can it be? Well, it is pretty hard because it's like changing the course of a, of a huge ship. You know, it doesn't just happen overnight. You've got to. Well, and, and to, you know, to Adam's point, you know, what do consumers do when they get nervous, right? They want to control more. They want to know where it is. What do we as, you know, supply chain analysts or procurement partners or, you know, data scientists, what do we do? We try to control more, which is actually the exact opposite of what we need to be doing right now inside of companies. So, you know, we talk about it a lot at Stopwatch. It's this like, it's this tense up and then we all have to remind ourselves, you know what? that tense up is actually causing more, more challenge. So we, I mean, there's a huge incentive, you know, across our organization to just say, hey, that's a natural reaction. It's natural that you don't want to share that data. I get it, but the game has changed. You with me? And they'll say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm like, all right, then share the data. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's a big part of what, you know, both uh, Stopwatch and Craft do, it seems like is provide different data points and different uh, ways and abilities to analyze the supply chain than what you would traditionally see in, in sort of like a vanilla, you know, ERP system or even a, even supply chain management systems, the traditional supply chain management systems that were more focused on efficiency, throughput, um, cost, you know, tracking costs and all that sort of thing. Whereas now we're talking about something totally different. And so that a lot of the technologies, the legacy technologies that are out there weren't built for this. Uh, they were built for sort of that pre-2020 supply chain. Yeah, so they, they were built to stay, to, to, to keep distraction from the company, right? And, and that's a killer way to build software, right? Like the software needs to work in the back end and we need a few people to be focused on it, right? So that, you know, so that the rest of the company can focus on product development, marketing. I mean, it makes total sense. It wasn't like, you know, those systems were built. Um, it's just it's just fascinating, and I think Amy and Adam have both you know touched on it as well that um, that 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 no longer can things be just happening in the background, and it's it's fascinating. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah and I and I would add, um, you know, the, the systems that have been in place for the last 30 years to manage and track supply chain and logistics and, and shipping and all of these things that that are are these organizations are working on um, were all built very siloed. And the data that was coming into these systems was very siloed or it was incomplete. And, and Eric, as you know, like the, the systems are only as good as the data foundation that's sitting within that tool to be able to report and understand. So you can have the best tool in the world, but if the data isn't there, it's not going to give you the insight to drive the strategy and the impact that you're looking for within an organization. And so that's really where we've started and, and are really, frankly, changing um, the, the supply chain data industry and in that we are aggregating all of these different traditional and alternative data sets. So and, and the thesis and what is proving correct and impactful for our customers is that looking at all of these different data points, all of these different lenses of risk and opportunity um, is elevating the understanding of that supplier and helping companies proactively plan for risks that are going to inevitably come up. But if you can have just a little bit longer of a runway, um, you can be much more strategic in how you manage that and minimize the impact of the organization. And so uh, across the board, the the days of data silos and the days of plat, you know, different platforms that aren't speaking to each other are long gone. And I think as technology continues to improve um, and, and as different algorithms via ML and AI come on board, we're going to start seeing these tools really speak to one another. Um, and, and it's it's going to elevate um, organizations' ability to um, predict and plan for some of these risks and challenges that we're seeing today. And so I think you know, if we talk about supply chain, you know, prior to 2020, um, every it, it just hummed along and it worked and it was low cost and everything, it, things were okay, but there were always these challenges. And now that, um, you know, since COVID hit and, and all of these things are kind of coming to the surface, uh, I think we're going to see over the next 10 years, a dramatic shift in the technology and how things are integrating. And to Megan's point, um, organizations working together to say, hey, you have this, we have this, let's blend it and let's really, um, let's create something that's really impactful for, for the industry. All right, good stuff. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back to this discussion because we're covering a lot of really good stuff about why the supply chain is broken and how to fix it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Let's 
Hello, and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, the podcast about all things digital transformation. This is episode number 43. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the usual uh, audio podcast platforms. We're right in the middle of a panel discussion regarding supply chain, why it's broken, and how to fix it. So let's jump right back into the conversation. If I might, one of the things that's worth um, bringing up, like two things that I think that came up from from Megan and Amy that are important to to latch onto a little bit. Um, first is data, of course. <clears throat> you know, being able to to see it uh, accurately. Um, if your if your information on your supply chain is bad, uh, and you have a supply chain problem, you're you're in deep water. Um, and the other uh, the other side of it though is that all of this is being driven by people um, it, it won't, in one way or another. You know, I like the example of Vietnam because something that doesn't get spoken to very much and needs a little bit more attention is that you know, suppliers, when suppliers shut down because they have an outbreak or because they go out of business, that's a piece of the supply chain that's gone, either temporarily or permanently. And so that causes, think of how many, you, you have one supplier that goes down. Think of how many customers they might serve. And then all of a sudden, those customers who are expecting things to already be coming from them, they have a lead time in their system that says, I'm going to order this from this person, and it's going to arrive in 60, 90 days, whatever. And then they don't find out that that, that they went out of business until it's time to order. Okay, so now I'm, now not only do I not um, have somebody to order from, I'm at the point where I need it now. Um, and I had to go find somebody else to fill that in. And um, whether it's because production is slowing down because people are shutting down, for, whether it be temporary or permanently, um, whether it's because people are, uh, you know, they're, the supply chain involves so many things. It involves production, it involves transportation, it involves, um, you know, warehousing and, 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 all, and distribution and all of those things that start with creating something whether it's pulling it from the ground or, uh, or or building it from scratch, and it goes somewhere from there. It has to get there somehow, and um, once it gets to that location, it probably that's probably not its its first destination is probably not its last destination. Its fifth destination is likely not its last destination, and so this is why we call it a supply chain, right? There, there are multiple steps in this, and as people are injected into this. Um, you have the, not only the the, the labor shortages um, that are caused by whatever you want to call it, um, you know, shutdowns, uh, uh, outbreaks, the Great Resignation. All of these things um, impact all of those stops, and the, they create bottlenecks because at the end of the day, people are what make this thing go, and then people are what react after it's not going fast enough. So they double down on something that now all of a sudden you're stressing something that's already stressed so that as each step goes along, this impact is compounded. And I think that one of the things that we're going to start seeing a little bit more is people are going to get um, uh, more localized um, and they're going, to, uh, they're going to want to start shrinking the number of stops this takes um, and they're going to get a bit more diversified and, and what it is is acceptable to them. Supplementary uh, uh, raw materials is um, something that people haven't been forced to think about, but now they now they will be because that's, it should be that way. Um, st uh, stocking up is an important part of things too. Uh, you know, even before I had a client, even before the even before COVID, with the tariffs on China, 
basically said, well, we do all our manufacturing in China, so we're going to stop stock up um, before these tariffs come into effect so that we already have that. Um, and, you know, I'd be curious to hear from them if that um, if they ran out of materials at just the wrong time. <laughs> Because for them, it's very likely that um, they're planning for these tariffs. And as those things start to fade away and they start to feel like they can get leaner, bam, here comes COVID. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, the supply chain is disrupted again. I think that what this is showing is that just the, the complexity of not just our supply chain, but of our global economy. Um, you know, we mentioned Vietnam, how a, um, how a, um, a shutdown in Vietnam can affect uh, affect everybody uh, that think about how many places are, are going to continue to do that. You know, this isn't something that um, is going to go away in the next year, in the next administration, in the next, uh, the, I, I'm willing to bet we're going to be talking about COVID for the rest of our lifetimes, at least the folks that are on, on this call uh, and, and how it, uh, we've seen these trickle down impacts and at the center of it um, are the people and, and placing an emphasis on that is important. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, very much intertwined and interrelated, you know, all this stuff we're talking about. Um, so we're, we're covering the whole gamut here of a lot of different things. There's people, process technology, overall strategy, um, incentives. Uh, a lot of the stuff we've talked about so far covers a pretty broad spectrum. But one, one thing I want to come back to, maybe dive into a little bit more, is this whole concept of data and transparency into the supply chain. I think, Amy, you were mentioning that one of the trends you're seeing is that um, people are looking beyond just the immediate supply chain, their immediate suppliers, and they're trying to look to the second and third tier suppliers. And I know, uh, Megan, on your side of kind of your world of where you operate, you're looking at sort of the end consumer. So you're kind of, you know, you really have to look at third tier suppliers of raw materials all the way through manufacturing production, 3PL providers, warehousing, distribution, getting it to the retailer, getting it to the consumer, or getting it to the e-commerce provider, getting it to the consumer. Um, but I want to come back to the two products that your companies provide, Amy and Megan, um, and just maybe talk about how, you know, how do your products provide some of that data and transparency that has been missing from the supply chain so far? Because I think part of the reason I want to have you on the show is I think that you guys both have products that are, I would call them alternatives to the traditional supply chain systems and they, and they provide some of that visibility. So Amy, why don't we start with you? You know, how does, how does craft help solve that data and transparency and visibility problem? Yeah. So thank you for that, Eric. Um, so the craft is collecting and aggregating, um, over 400 different data points on any particular supplier on average. So that is financials, operational human capital, that's cybersecurity scores, um, that's ESG scores, diversity certifications, um, compliance data, ownership data. And so what that allows organizations to do is to have that single, single source of truth on that supplier. And then as you work through our different, the tool and the dashboards and the alerts and the reporting capabilities, you're able to not only understand what's going on within your supply chain, but we can also map different tiers for you. So now throughout all of these different lenses, whether it be just pure financial risk or compliance risk, um, ESG, so is there forced labor down in your supply chain that's gonna that's going to catch you down, you know, once that's exposed. So uh, risk, 
risk to us is a very large word, right? Because it could be many things. It could be logistics. It could be shipping. It could be materials, commodity inflation. It can be, you know, there's so many different things. And so what, what Kraft is focused on doing is we've created a very easy to use, simple, simple um, platform and interface um, to surface these, these different indicators and to combine these different things to say, hey, your cybersecurity score is very high risk and your employee engagement score is also very high risk. Those two are correlated with an increased percentage of a data breach. So what does that mean to you? So each organization has a different threshold for what they're uh, for for risk and what they're what they're open to and and how they build out their policies around that. So what we're we're really focused on doing is surfacing all of these insights and then helping our customers take strategic action around that. Um, regardless of where they are in the world, we offer 100% coverage. So um, if the data is out there, we will find out. We have a fantastic set of data engineers and a fantastic te technology platform, and that's where uh, I referenced earlier. The, the technology pulling in all of this available data and surfacing it for these organizations is um, is already leaps and bounds ahead of what we had 10 years ago. And it's going to continue to really evolve as, as the ML and AI algorithms continue to evolve. And as, as more data is captured, um, as more data is shared um, between whether it be a survey coming through or, or different things that, that, that organizations are working on. So we're really focused on a very easy to use platform and avail all the available data that, that is relevant to help you understand those suppliers and then make those plans moving forward. Yeah. Imagine it gives your customers a feeling of a bit more control too, because in the past, I would think that it seemed like in mm -hmm. the past. It didn't really matter. The stuff you're talking about didn't matter as much because as long as the stuff showed up and as long as the, the, the vendor is reliable, does it matter what their employee engagement score? Does it matter, you know, what their cybersecurity policy is, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. and none of that matters until it does matter. And now it does matter. So right. it's it's sort of like a good timing for that product, I would think. Yeah. And pe people are seeing now and they're hearing about it in the news. They're they're seeing it. Um, you know, on their own social media people, this is where kind of some of the consumer sentiment stuff comes in. They're seeing it and, and people are are charged up one way or another about it. And so um, it, it's just um, it's it's become a very effective way by combining both traditional and alternative data points to to have a, a better response and to be proactive. You know, like I said, um, Everyone's expecting things now. So if you can just anticipate it a bit, then you can be better prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how about on the distribution, retail, e-commerce side of things, Megan? What are what are some of the, how does your product fit in and how does it provide some of those alternative data sources and alternative ways of operating the supply chain? Yeah, um, first of all, I gotta say, like, I can't wait to check out um, uh, craft. <laughs> um, but we don't, you know, we don't buy, you know, we're not, we don't procure things, but um, I, I'm pretty stoked about kind of that, the idea of that visibility. Um, I think some of our clients could really use it. Um, I think one, um, one thing that Stopwatch is, it does, and because we are on the, on the consumer product side of things, um, it, it sounds really silly, but like this little UPC right here, like, um, you know, when Amy buys this or Adam or anybody on the call buys this at Target, they don't they don't buy it as a Target SKU. 
Um, they actually, well, they do actually, that's how it comes in, right? But they're really, they're, they're not saying, oh, there's a target skew that I want. They're saying, oh, there's the LaCroix that I want to, you know, buy. And I happen to be in the space of target, right? Um, well, you start kind of extrapolating that out across, you know, any place you can get something that you like from secret deodorant to, you know, a, a toothpaste to trash bags, to bag of chips, to whatever. Um, all of a sudden, uh, there's, you know, we talked about data engineering. Um, there's just a lot of data engineering to be doing to say, hey, did the consumer mean this and this? Because our systems in black and white numbers are saying that these are two different SKUs because one has a target SKU and one has a, you know, CVS SKU. Well, at the end of the day, the consumer is, is, is you know, LaCroix needs to know what the consumer is wanting, right? Um, not necessarily, you know, the context in which they want it as much as as much as before. Um, and with the last mile delivery and kind of all that sort of thing. So when we think about the visibility pieces and what Stopwatch does, it basically, you know, as Amy mentioned that um, it sounds like um, uh, the craft kind of, kind of uh, the main fulcrum is around uh, supplier information. Um, for Stopwatch, the main fulcrum is around single SKU information. Um, and so, you know, GS1 has been working on it for, for years. Um, you know, no, no disrespect, it, I, I don't think they had the technology or the engineering to, to put, put toward it. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of little mini solves, but at the end of the day, um, with the right computer vision, natural language processing, you know, MI, you can actually like pretty much distill everything that's floating around in the universe down to a single point of contact and then blow that back out and see what's actually happening with it. So, you know, in the past, Coca-Cola was always wondering about their market share. Like, you know, do we sell more Coke to people who want to drink soda than Pepsi, right? This market share was a big, you know, thing with Nielsen and IRI and, you know, a lot of big data houses. Well, that's a very like lag indicator across a lot of mini choices that have been made over a very compressed period of time, right? And so um, it made sense, right? It, it made sense in the 90s, it made sense even today. But what makes more sense today is to understand in real time where those Coke and Pepsi choices are being made all at the same time. Because when you start looking at it as more of a game theory matrix versus a linear matrix, sorry to get mathy here, you actually can take advantage of your competitors' downfalls. So one thing we talk about a lot um, within Stopwatch is you don't have to be the winner in every single thing. You just have to win when your competitor has made a misstep, right? And so, you know, if, um, this is very general, but, you know, if um, Folger's coffee is stuck on the water, that's public information. So what should Starbucks do? Probably make a different decision than if they didn't know that Folgers Coffee was stuck on the water. Um, and, and I think that's where, where Stopwatch really kind of distills in to say, listen, okay, this skew, you need to look at this skew in comparison to its true real-time competitors. And then you need to know what's happening with the skew and also ha what's happening with its real-time competitors. And when there's a combination of they make a misstep and you make a move, that's where that 10x kind of 
you know, arbitrage kind of kind of opportunity happens. And, um, you know, the, the cool thing is, is that we could think about it as humans, but once you get it into a tech stack that it can actually kind of turn that through pretty quickly, um, you know, the game just changes and, uh, and things start moving really, really fast. So um, really Stopwatch is designed to, um, you know, kind of, kind of assign brand marketers and, and manufacturers and people who really know consumer insights, basically their brain activity and how they think about what's happening and put it into a machine learning model that then just picks it up really, really fast. Um, and so we do a lot of supervised learning, you know, with experts in the field and say, okay, how are you thinking about this? Like, you know, if Folgers was stuck on the water, what are your 10, you know, what are 10 things that, you know, Starbucks could do to, um, to capitalize on the opportunity? And you get people who have been working in this field for a long time talking about that. And you, I mean, it's just like, oh my, what a brilliant idea. And, and you just couldn't do it because you, you couldn't move things fast or you couldn't tell things to change or the data wasn't connecting. And so that's where we get really excited. I think there's a lot of creative people in in us uh, in supply chain um, that have been constrained by you know time and and barriers and uh, stopwatch's you know real goal is to blow open those time and barriers so that you know people of all different levels of expertise and experience within the supply chain can kind of input and uh, and maximize their opportunity in real time. Yeah, good stuff. Then now I've got. That's really that's really interesting, and I, and I think those are two good complementary views of how how data and visibility and just rethinking uh, the supply chain can can help. All right, good stuff. We're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna come right back to this discussion because we're covering a lot of really good stuff about why the supply chain is broken and how to fix it. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, the podcast about all things digital transformation. This is episode number 43. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the usual uh, audio podcast platforms. We're right in the middle of a panel discussion regarding the supply chain, why it's broken and how to fix it. So let's jump right back into the conversation. I've got two quick questions. Normally I would, you know, these are two questions that we could easily spend 20, 30 minutes on each of these, but maybe we'll do kind of a lightning round here. And I think um, we sort of agreed before we, we went live here that we probably aren't gonna cover everything we wanted to, and we probably will have to do a follow-up. And I think we probably will, cause there's a lot here we haven't gotten to. I think we've covered a lot of good stuff, but a lot more we could get to. Um, but just real quickly, I know we're going to want to dive maybe deeper into this than we'll have time for, but just real quickly, um, Amy, I have a question for you about cybersecurity. Um, how is cybersecurity, and you alluded to it a little bit uh, in one of your responses earlier, but what, um, what, how does cybersecurity affect the supply chain and what are some of the challenges with that that we're seeing right now? Yeah, I, I, there was a statistic that came out um, over the summer and it was that 
in Q1 of this year, cybersecurity attacks, particularly on a supply chain, were up 67%. Um, and so th that to me is just staggering. That's not going away. Um, these cyber criminals have realized the impact that a, a supply chain disruption has on not just that one particular organization, but everyone. I mean, the Colonial Pipeline shut down over the summer. The entire eastern seaboard was in a panic, trying to panic buy gas and, and figure out what was going to happen. And so um, the so the overall impact is is massive when some of these things happen. Um, and so it's not going away. Um, there are scores available to help find those vulnerabilities. There are also capabilities um, to understand uh, the deep web, what's already there. And I've, I've actually run this through Craft for a few clients, and it's scary how many um, IDs and passwords of senior level executives, CEO, CFO, very, very high level people are floating around the dark web for organizations that I'm not going to name names, but um, the Fortune 500, Fortune 100, their CEO's email and password is exposed on the on the dark web for someone to buy and create an attack. And so many of these tax uh, attacks come in through these ID and password issues with these like minor little security things that haven't been updated um, and they are, they are able to get in. So, um, so there's that, you know, at the organizational level. And then like I talked about the end tier. So um, some of these attacks are starting this far downstream. I think the solar winds attack um, came in through a supplier many, many levels down and that impacted, I mean, we all remember that one. So, um, I think it's something where organizations are forced to now begin looking at this. The CIOs are now talking to the, the supply chain officers and formulating a plan to understand uh, where do we have vulnerabilities? What do we need to, to do to be uh, more proactive here? Certainly, we're seeing um, organizations requesting their suppliers. So some security questionnaires upon onboarding, making sure that those those um, those things are in place to try and prevent these things uh, because they're only getting more sophisticated and, and they're not going to go away because of the level of disruption that they're causing. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's obviously a big concern. And then you add that, you know, that's of course additive to all the other things we've talked about, you know, the, mm -hmm. uh, all the other issues that we've, we've already covered. Um, and then a, another lightning round question that um, I'll ask you, Adam um, is, and this is a, it could be a controversial question. That's why I'm asking you this uh, because I, I know you can handle this one. Uh, but do you think governments will or should start to regulate the supply chain given uh, all the challenges we're seeing right now? And I know there've been some governments like the US government, for example, is talking about potentially taking a more active role in regulating the supply chain. What do you think will happen there as far as regulations and just government involvement in the supply chain given everything else we've just talked about? Yeah, I think that it's, it's important to bring up what we talked about earlier, which is, people trying to exercise more control over what they're doing is causing problems, right? The reacting is causing more problems. And so I, I would say that, and, and this is my opinion, and I'm, I'm of course open to all kinds of uh, feedback on this, but I, I would say that while government has a role in helping uh, with the supply chain and helping loosen some of this up, Regulate, regulating it in a way that it, um, that restricts it um, and is reactive and is designed to try to make something happen 
is more likely to have unintended consequences that cause more problems. You know, our, our supply chain, we've we've been talking about today how complex it is um, and, and all of the areas where just one small thing can just create havoc. Um, trying to trying to act like you can make a uh, you can regulate something in a way that you can control all of the the, the undesirable impacts i think is not um is is a bit of a fiction uh that we need to to stay away from but at the same time i do think that governments around the world should have a role in helping ease some of these shortages right so um trying to get shipping containers moved through uh, ports more quickly, especially in areas of the world that are more uh, more constricted. Like what what happens when a shipping container blocks the Suez Canal? <laughs> you know, like there's a role in that for easing that, solving that problem. Um, but then, so and that's that's how I think about it. I'd be curious to see how um, Amy and Megan think about it as well as supply chain experts. Yeah. Any any thoughts on that, Megan or Amy? I, I completely agree, Adam. I, I, I think it's it's so complex that that a series of regulations aren't going to solve the problem, right? I, I, I think there are ways that small small things can make an impact. For instance, in Southern California now, our ports are now uh, operating 24-7 to try and get things off of these ships and to kind of ease some of that congestion. Is that going to solve everything overnight? No, but it's a start. I think um, so. I, I, I certainly think um, the visibility is um, is going to be impact impactful. The fact that President Biden is is putting this stuff out there, I think, um, is going to be impactful for organizations to really force them to continue to evolve and to look at change. Like Megan was saying earlier, change is very very hard. Um, but I think when there's this this um, visibility on a global scale, I, I think it does. Um, it helps drive some of those some of those changes that are are inevitably coming. So, yeah. Now, what about just as a kind of a closing question? I'll start with you, Megan. Um, what what one or two things in closing would you say that organizations and teams within organizations should be doing to kind of rethink their supply chain and really start to fix and alleviate some of these problems? If you had to summarize it, one or two things, what what would that be? This is gonna be crazy, but talk to more teenagers. Like truly. Talk to teenagers. Things that are really, really complex in our in our minds. Um, when you when you sit and talk to a kid between thirteen and eighteen, um, it's not as complex in their minds. And if we can get out of our own way and start to kind of look at things the way they are, um, I'm I'm just always always shocked at at how you know. Uh, there's Occam's, there's Occam's razor opportunities, um, but we've been really predispositioned uh, to to not necessarily pick those out. Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah, sometimes we overthink things, overcomplicate it, and that's the last thing the supply chain needs right now is more complication because there's already enough enough moving parts as it is. Um, how about you, Adam? What what uh, one or two things would you say in closing as sort of a, a takeaway or something for organizations to think about? Yeah, I'd say start looking at it earlier in your process. Um, get ahead of it and don't be as reactive as you feel like you have to be. Um, if you can start seeing what your key, your most critical raw materials are, your most critical components and understand that um, at some point 
that's going to be impacted by a supply chain issue. Seeing it farther in advance, you know, so my lead time on this is 30 days. That's pretty good. Um, we'll look at it 60 days before that. Start to think about what happens when your lead times get uh, get expanded because th these panic buys and all those things they happen fast. I mean, like I don't think the great toilet paper shortage of of 2020 is ever going to be forgotten. Um, and that type of thing, it it happens fast. And it, it, you trying to react to that in a way um, that is um, short sighted, I think is a is a is a difficult position to be in. So knowing what your 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 key components are, your key raw materials, and and really getting way ahead of that, knowing what all of your options are, so that you can adjust is going to really be uh, a really impactful thing for your business. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Amy? What what closing uh, advice or recommendations would you have for organizations? Yeah, I would just say leverage the digital tools that are available um, to understand these multiple dimensions of risk across your organization um, and, and um, leverage that to, to be more strategic, to um, to plan for these things, they're going to happen. Um, this has, you know, the fragility of the entire supply chain, the global ecosystem has been exposed. And so um, now it becomes kind of this new era of planning and, and managing to that and, and changing, um, particularly large organizations. It's very, very difficult to do, but we're starting to see that. And I think it's going to continue to evolve. But I would just say to, to leverage um the, the digital tools to, to manage the risk and, and to figure out what that means for your organization and plan around it yeah absolutely well i'll actually sorry i'll jump jump in kind of on that and i would i would go one step further amy and this kind of goes with my teenager thing is is leverage digital tools that don't suck like and i say that <laughs> with all love because i think what's really interesting is as consumers and people out in the world on the weekends like we have our phones and we're like chilling in mint and uber and like really good technology and then we come in on monday morning and we sit in front of our mainframe and we're not demanding you know the same level of uh user experience and visibility and accessibility and those sorts of things and so you know i think i think one thing that's really important for for teams to realize is that you're going to be more effective when you're working kind of you know quickly um and there are a lot of great tools out there that you know just don't don't suck, um, you know, and uh, and I, I think it's important to explore those um, because it's amazing how much how much faster things go and how much happier you are when uh, you're just working kind of you know in your brainwave that that kind of makes sense versus having to relearn an old system. It's kind of yeah. that old adage like work smarter, not harder, right? Like let's be more effective in what we're doing and how we're doing it across the board. And, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with getting simple. You know, uh, there's a comment in the oh, Yeah, right. Exactly. There's a comment here. What about trying to shorten the supply chain? That's a great idea, right? If you can start, if you can get more direct, you can simplify this problem. Um, not only do you reduce your exposure to it, but you, you improve your ability to res be responsive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of good stuff here. And, it, you know, this is all interesting timing, especially as we come up on the holiday season for much of the world. 
uh, in November and December. That's part of why I wanted to have this this roundtable with you all um, here today. So um, this is great stuff. And, it, and like I said, I think I, I definitely want to do a part two with you guys if you're open to it. I think uh, there's yeah. a lot more we can dive into here. So want to want to thank you for your time. This is really good stuff. I uh, really appreciate having all three of you on the show uh, here today. So thank you very much for being here. All right. Thanks, Amy, Megan, and Adam. Really good conversation. I love the topics we covered there and uh, some really good stuff to unpack and a lot to absorb, quite frankly. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to uh, debrief uh, some of the findings from that discussion. And then we're also going to queue up our next guest, our next guest who will be on later uh, talking about pains in the supply chain. But before that, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 43. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the audio podcast platforms. Be sure to check us out there. Be sure to also check us out on social media. Uh, any social media platform you're on, we probably are too. So look for Third Stage and or uh, me personally on there. And we're constantly putting out uh, daily content about digital transformation best practices as well as supply chain best practices as well. Um, so uh, what did you think of that discussion, Kyler? That we, we had a lot, of, there's a lot we covered there. There's a lot we didn't cover. A lot we still could easily spend another hour with those guys. But uh, what, did you, what were your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what an interesting group of professionals kind of talking through what the supply chain looks like from all different lenses. Obviously, Adam has the third stage experience. And then, you know, Amy, Amy and Megan bring a whole different experience to the table when it comes to how they service their clients. One thing I wanted to ask you about that Amy said specifically when you asked her kind of like, what are you hearing from your clients regarding specific uh, pain points or anything that they need to, I guess, prioritize within their supply chain strategies. And she had had said sustainability and she referenced some kind of world governments and and them having some connection and working together and those types of things. And I wonder if you could uh, elaborate on that a little bit more. Yeah, it's, I thought it was interesting too. It's, it, um, it's not always the first thing I think of when I, when I think about supply chain management, but as she was saying it, um, it, it, it did remind me that a lot of what I read about with supply chain management in general is focused on sustainability and sort of uh, evaluating suppliers and vendors based on their business practices and ethics, whether it be, you know, their contributions or their, their focus on uh, climate change, whether it's uh, the way they uh, use labor and making sure they're not using slave labor or other things that people are oftentimes are opposed to. 
So it's it's really I, it's, I don't know if sustainability is the best word or if it's more in my mind it's it's sort of like uh, philosophical or ethical alignment. You know, it mm -hmm. kind of fits who we are as an organization, and therefore we're going to work with that supplier. You know, versus the supplier over here who's not aligned with what we believe in and what our values are. So I think um, I think it's very interesting. I think it's important too. You know, oh, yeah. Regardless of what your views are, I mean, I think you need to have uh, supply chain partners that are sustainable, and it's just a good way to be more active and have a more active role in the overall supply chain as well. Definitely. And I, I love their consumer focus too. A lot of times when we talk about the supply chain, we don't always think of the end user, the first type of experience. And they even went so far to kind of carve it down to maybe a, a Gen Z or millennial market, a younger target consumer yeah. that has this brand new behavior that is almost immediate when it comes to digitization of their experience. So when you are a, a company, when you're going through a digital transformation, how do you forward think your customer experience and understand what their expectations may be for your products, goods, or services? Well, it, it all starts with sort of viewing things from their perspective, because when we're talking about supply chains or technology operations in general, a lot of times we're focused inwardly on what's happening in our warehouse and how are we moving stuff around. And we've, we tend to focus a lot on our own pains and our own challenges. And it's really easy to lose sight of, well, what, you know, it, it may be painful to us, but what does it look like to the customer? Maybe they, maybe they feel the pain 10 times as much as we do, or maybe they just don't feel it at all. And it's just more of our own issue, which is a whole nother story. But I think the key is to really map the customer journey from the first time they interact with your organization, even before they become a customer, map that journey and what it looks like in most cases, um, that can be very, very powerful. And there's a few ways you can do it. I mean, some of the qualitative ways you can do it is to sit down with some of your customers and walk through that interaction and qualitatively understand sort of what that experience feels and looks like. But then there's also quantitative data you can use too. Like I know um, one thing that we do at third stage is we do uh, business process mining as one of our service offerings as part of our you know, business process management uh, tool set. And pro business process mining in general, what it does is it tracks how quickly things are moving through the process flows. So if you, you look at the customer facing processes, you can quantify where are the bottlenecks, where are the breakdowns, where are the, the issues with your processes that are most likely to affect your customers, which may or may not be the same processes that you feel the pain of uh, internally. So, um, so anyway, those are a couple things that come to mind along those yeah, lines. Definitely. I think that's, that's great advice in that almost customer centric, centric, excuse me, mindset um, to make sure that you are understanding what their experiences and their behaviors. I also loved this group because both Amy and Megan, even you know, not together, do such a great job of explaining a very complex process in ways that we can understand. So utilizing that data to go in and give organizations the opportunity to not only see, okay, you know, you can um, you can create some variation in your supplier vendors, those types of things that we're kind of used to for business process management metrics. But they also bring in the in the human side of the business and saying, you know, you might have an issue with your overall um, culture because of this specific metric. And I, I didn't know that was even a capability until kind of Amy was talking us through craft and what that looked like. So can you talk yeah. a little bit more about is that a trend 
that you've been seeing is kind of monitoring from a data perspective the human interactions within your organization? I, you know, honestly, it's, it, whether it's a trend or not, I, I don't know, but I think it should be. It, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a positive thing that I think uh, should be more of a trend. In fact, um, I honestly didn't know a lot about um, those touch points and, and the technology that, that her company provides at Kraft. I wasn't familiar with that uh, technology before I first had her on the, this podcast several months ago. So it's, uh, you know, that's the beauty of doing a podcast like this is you can always have interesting guests and I'm always trying to constantly push um, my own knowledge and, and try to bring on people that I learn from thinking that if, I, if I'm learning, I assume others are going to learn uh, some as well. So, um, so it's something new to me and I, I think it's fascinating though. I think that they're spot on with their strategy and the problem statement they're trying to solve, which is what are those different uh, human interactions and uh, even the, the, uh, the things that may seem on the surface like it doesn't have a lot to do with supply chain management like right. she's talking about the uh, uh well she's talking about the the financial uh viability of the supplier uh the employee engagement of the supplier the cybersecurity ratings mm -hmm. those are all things that in the past i don't think a lot of organizations were thinking about in fact i don't think many are still thinking about it except for customers of craft right now but um <laughs> but I, so i think they have a huge untapped market that they could be uh, tapping into for, for the, that type of technology. And there's others out there too, other types of uh, supply chain technologies that can help with that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And and you'll hear in my interview with Mitch right after this, that I stole Megan's buzzword of sparkly data, and I've been using it on a daily basis and I just really love it. So, you know, nice. thank you for, <laughs> for passing that along to me. But I, I think it might be helpful, you know, just in our, our last couple minutes here is is to talk about maybe the three things, the three key learnings that this group taught us about how businesses can optimize their supply chain. Um, and I think one of the ones that I really took away from this is just the overall analyzation of it um, and looking at every part and understanding every part of the supply chain. So you do have that level of visibility in order to look at any stop gaps or anything that might be happening that you might not be able to control the shipping prices like we talked about earlier, but you can certainly control how you warehouse items or your inventory management when it comes to that type of thing. Would that be something you would agree with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's very true. And then what were maybe some two other key findings that you had? Well, I think the in addition to that analysis, uh, data, visibility, all that, you know, that whole bucket of stuff that you're, you're alluding to. The other things that come to mind are um, what you mentioned earlier in the episode about how there's so many moving parts and how complex supply chains are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we know that in, intuitively as consultants, because we're dealing with our client supply chains every day, and we're always helping clients through it. But given the, you know, sort of the, the nature of the issues in the world today with supply chains and backing up and looking at it more from a you know, 30,000 foot view, like we did with that panel, it really exposes like how many moving parts there are um, in these supply chains when you when you look at the whole thing. And, and there's so many just thousands, if not more, you know, little pieces in any given supply chain that if one breaks or one goes wrong, it, it, it uh, triggers, you know, through the entire uh, supply chain, sort of like Christmas lights, you know, since we're in the holiday season, you have Christmas yeah. lights, one bulb goes out, the whole thing goes out, it's sort of like that with, with supply chains. Um, so that's probably the the other one, um, and then it, you know I guess the other it's more of an unknown for me I guess, and it, it alludes back to something we talked about earlier, which is just what you know how are we going to fix it 
part A, but part B is, is the government going to step in and do something, mm -hmm. which, you know, some, on, some listening would think that's a good thing. Some listening are, are going to think that's a bad thing, or, you know, others might not be sure, but that's sort of more of a unknown of what, you know, what can we expect from government entities? And it, it doesn't need to necessarily mean that every government throughout the world is going to step in and intervene, but all it takes is one or two or a handful of government um, entities to to step into parts of the supply chain to start regulating and, and that could create some you know unintended consequences too as we talked about so i don't know that that's really a takeaway it's just more of a open question that to me is a big takeaway oh, yeah yeah big question mark there and and if i were to add one more i would say what i learned personally is just the flexibility and the moldability yeah. of processes um i know megan had said you know we've all worked for those fortune 500 200 companies where you know even filling out a form is 16 steps. Well, maybe looking at those processes now and not being so rigid with them to be able to get your end good to your consumer as fast as possible or through a different process um, and adds a little creative flexibility. And, you know, as a creative thinker, I think that's something that we talked about last week of, of being that business technologist is so important to kind of include it within your supply chain strategies. That's usually much more technical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an important piece of it for sure. Well, good. Well, I'm excited um, to talk to Mitch too about that. He had some some great insights um, as he is one of our main consultants that helps with our clients that are dealing with supply chain issues. Um, so I think it's a, a probably a good time to bring him on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you reminded me during a break that uh, I I was completely wrong when I said his title. I said he's a, either a senior consultant or a manager at Third Stage. And you reminded me that he's actually a senior manager. He started as a senior <laughs> consultant, became a manager, now a senior manager. But that just goes to show the caliber of guest you're about to hear from, exactly. uh, who's someone that's going to move that moves up very quickly within the ranks of Third Stage. Um, so this is actually a clip that uh, uh, of an interview you had with him recently. So we're going to play that for you as soon as we take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 43. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. And uh, Kyler, you recently had uh, a conversation with Mitch Otteson from the Third Stage team. So tell us a little bit about this interview or, or cue it up for us so we know what to expect here. Absolutely. This was for our sister podcast recently, um, Digital Stratosphere, which comes out with new episodes every Wednesday. And um, we talked about the episode, it's actually called Pain in the Supply Chain. Um, so we just talked about why we're experiencing all of these issues similar to that, but from the lens of someone that actually helps business through it. So with that, um, I'd love to welcome Mitch to Ground Control. 
Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's jump in and let's start from the beginning. Can you provide kind of a brief explanation of what supply chain is and why it is so important specifically right now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, supply chain is really the, the operations and the order of operations that our consumer goods take in order to get from raw material into the finished good that you purchase off of somewhere like Amazon. Um, and so it's the entire step and journey that all of your products take to get to your doorstep. Excellent. And so can you kind of explain to us how you at Third Stage interact with supply chain with our community of clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm working with several clients that are in the manufacturing space right now. And some of their biggest challenges involve figuring out how they're going to get their raw materials to be able to keep up with the high demand that they're experiencing. It seems like everyone has record high demand and they're trying to figure out what's the best way to make sure that I can have all the raw materials that I need to meet this demand and take advantage of this opportunity that my business has been presented with. Sure, sure. That makes that makes so much sense. And there's a ton of news coverage regarding supply chain right now. And so why right at this very current climate are we worried about supply chain so much? You know, that's a really good question. And I think that it's important because we're in some, we're experiencing unprecedented times and circumstances right now, and it's causing disruptions everywhere. A supply chain really is a system and an ecosystem, and we're experiencing disruptions throughout the entire system that are really causing pain and headache and ultimately uh, result in higher costs for consumers at the end of the day all over the place. Yeah, definitely. I know we've all seen those very daunting satellite images of kind of all of those cargo ships out outside the LA ports um, and things like that. So, so why is that blockage happening? You know, I've never seen anything like that before, and, and I hope to never see anything like that again. Um, really, you know, it, it's the disruption that we talked about earlier, where there has been a shortage of labor to be able to unpack those those cargo ships, to be able to take them out of the port and truck them across the country to get to their final destination. But even before that, um, you know, so much of our, so many of our goods were produced in China. And during the heights of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, they weren't able to be in factories and be able to be producing things. And, and that really caused a huge disruption to our ecosystem that we're just now seeing the, the effects of, you know, several months later. Yeah, definitely. It's so interesting, that domino effect, because you would expect kind of the heightened issues, which obviously we experienced a lot of disruption in the beginning phases of the COVID-19 pandemic, but now kind of as we've, we've evolved to understand what life is like with going through a global health pandemic, it seems like now the supply chain, that ripple effect has really hit the consumer and trying to understand what that means to be a, you know, a, a consumer in 2022, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it seems like it everywhere you turn, there's a labor shortage somewhere, there's a supply chain shortage that's not allowing us to get the things that we need. And, and on top of that, uh, we just keep buying stuff. And, and when demand is at record highs like this, businesses are scrambling to try and figure out how can I meet this demand and, and what do I have to do to make it happen? So uh, I would say that we are, we are causing issues uh, throughout the supply chain and that's caused by unprecedented demand and the inability to deliver the supply. 
Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Would you say that the transition, because I know you've helped a lot of our clients go through a transition that they were kind of forced into a transformation because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Would you say that because e-commerce or digital marketplaces have kind of blown up, is that a big reason of why we're experiencing additional heightened demand? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm very thankful that the clients that we have worked with have identified the need to, to go through this transformation and that COVID was a hopefully a positive driver for that that'll help to set their business forward and um, allow them to be thriving on, on the other side of the pandemic. Um, but I, I think it's, it's e-commerce. Um, everyone is looking for that Amazon type experience and that's really become our expectation as consumers. I wanna click a couple buttons and walk out to my front doorstep and, and have it arrive a couple of days later. Um, in addition to that, you know, like we were talking about before, the demand for just about every single product is, is really high. Um, there was a, a huge spike in the cost of lumber not too long ago. Mm -hmm. uh, building has been at an all-time high. Uh, construction not and home improvement projects. People are all of a sudden at home and decide to do uh, DIY projects. And, and again, just so much demand for these things that uh, it was really unexpected. Uh, and it's really causing a lot of our clients to pivot in the way that they look at, at their businesses. Absolutely. I was so ready to build a she shed out in our backyard, but our husband, my husband was like, our husband, <laughs> my husband was like, no, absolutely not. Mostly because he feels as though he would be doing most of the work. And, you know, he's not wrong about that. But I felt <laughs> he's like, <not> wrong. <laughs> no, he's not wrong. He's much more handy than I am. But that is such a good point because we've been focusing a lot on the our third stage content side and just infrastructure planning. So those yeah. high growth industries, like you just touched on, construction, building. And then we've also seen a huge amount of growth in renewable energies since the yeah. pan pandemic and then aerospace and defense and what those look like. So definitely go kind of check those out. We have a, a few blogs and videos on those. Um, and Eric and I kind of talked about the chip shortage as well, which has caused, you know, obviously a huge disruption in many of our technology product development. So probably the most important question of the day, Mitch, as a dad, is Christmas canceled oh my because gosh. of supply chain? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so thankful that my daughter is young enough to not really know what's going on and to, to be nervous about Santa coming. Um, I, I do think that Santa will still be coming, but I think that uh, folks really need to be prepared earlier this year and to, to spread out their purchases as much as they can. Um, I, I've seen several retailers extend and Black Friday's already been extended over the last several years right. where it was, yeah. uh, you know, just one day, then it became a week. And now we're looking at Black Friday in October um, and, and really stretching that out to be, allow consumers to get the, those discounts and those prices that they're looking for that they've been waiting for all year for the holiday season. Um, that's one avenue that retailers are taking to try and fight against the spike in demand that they know is coming. Um, so you know, get out and, and do your shopping early is, is my best recommendation. That's what I'll be doing at least. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for helping us break down these really um, 
basic concepts of supply chain. I think it's a, a neat time to be a consumer in the fact that it's, we get that deeper level of understanding of what's kind of happening. So thank you so much, Mitch, for all of that great insight regarding supply chain. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to kind of dig into some best practices that organizations can utilize to optimize their supply chain. you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download Download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm Kyler Cheatham having a conversation here with Mitch Audison from Third Stage Consulting Group about the pain in the supply chain. So with that, Mitch, let's jump back in. We talked about consumers and what their experience was with these supply chain disruptions, but I want to know about organizations. How have they been influenced by these issues? Yeah, absolutely. And really, we're, we're seeing this across all different verticals, across all different industries. Uh, it seems like no one is immune to the supply chain issues that we're experiencing. So um, now really is a good time to, to make that investment in upgrading technology to be able to, to get some of those advanced analytics and, and some more of those uh, softwares that allow you to do what if scenarios to be able to better account for these types of situations, identify bottlenecks and to be able to make the best decision for their business. Sure, absolutely. And I, I think you touched on this, but there really is no industry that you've seen that is immune. Are there any industries, you had mentioned construction earlier, but any other industries that have been really highly impacted that you wanna mention? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know as a, as a consumer, the automotive industry has been heavily impacted by this. Um, we, we were looking for a new car and it was insane, the, the amount of oh, wow. um, prices that we were up against, uh, lack of deals that were out there. It's, it's unlike any uh, environment that I've ever seen when buying a car. Uh, one of my clients that I'm working with right now is in the aerospace and defense industry. And I thought, hey, maybe they might be somewhat immune to this, but um, the electrical components, the parts that they need, all the way down to the special adhesives that they need, all either come from China or their raw materials come from China and their suppliers are having a hard time getting stuff over to them. So um, it, it really is a challenge for just about everyone and, and it impacts just about every business I've come across. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's so tough because a lot of times people say, well, just switch suppliers, but that's never been an option before. It's it's not a high um, high competition area. You know, usually there's just one one supplier with those raw materials or those pre-assembled raw materials, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Or, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that have taken the, if it's not broke, don't fix it approach. Mm -hmm. And they've stuck with one supplier 
because they've always done business with them. It's just easier to do that. And really, we're seeing that you have to get creative when it comes to your supply chain and looking for alternative paths and options because you never know when something like this could happen. I hope, uh, you know, I don't expect another global pandemic to hit, but, you know, it, it can, you know, things can happen and um, other shocks can hit a, an ecosystem like a supply chain like this and, and folks really do need to be ready for it. Right, absolutely. So, you know, this conversation has been such sunshine and rainbows so far. <laughs> is Christmas canceled? So I, I kind of want to focus on, on knowing that many things are out of our control as businesses. Mm -hmm. But what yeah. are some things that organizations can do to overcome these supply chain issues? You know, I think it really gets down to some of the basics. Um, I, I think it's important to note a lot of folks or a lot of the experts aren't expecting the supply chain woes to go away anytime soon. Um, there are some, some large scale efforts that are taking place, like a lot of production is being moved to Mexico. Um, a lot of um, microchip processors are, are moving to the United States where they were in China. So those are some long-term solutions that can help the problem, but um, there's some immediate steps that you can take to be able to get to when the long-term stuff takes place. Uh, and I think that's really thoroughly evaluating every, evaluating every step of your supply chain, looking for additional vendors that you can look for, looking for additional buy opportunities where you could take advantage of buying more quantity if a vendor does have something that you need. Um, you could also go through and you know, look for alternatives and replacements. This is a great opportunity to evaluate what goes into your product and determine if it's absolutely necessary. If there's another option, um, especially knowing that, hey, consumers are, are showing that they're willing to absorb the increase in cost. Right. So if there's a higher, more quality component to your to your product that you've been putting off adding, maybe now's a good time to add it into your product and, and see if consumers you know, react the way that you expect them to. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then what about like business process management when it comes to evaluating your processes, looking for some efficiencies? Um, is that something that our clients can do or you advise our clients to do to kind of help with supply chain management? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's always opportunities to get more and more efficient. There's always, <clears throat> excuse me, there's always an opportunity to get more efficient. There's always an opportunity to look at your internal processes and see what you can streamline because there's oftentimes where our clients have found that they are the bottleneck and really our clients need to be able to react quickly um, and so re reducing some of their own internal red tape has allowed them to take advantage of opportunities when um, raw materials are available or labor is available to be able to mm -hmm. make quick hiring decisions. Um, becoming more and more efficient is a great way to, to navigate these uncertain times. Excellent. And then I know, obviously, you're a software expert when it comes to helping companies choose software that might help with things like labor shortages. Can, so can you talk a little bit about maybe some emerging technologies like um, AI or machine learning to work with processes that can be automated throughout this labor shortage that might help? Yeah, absolutely. So um, with with machine learning and some artificial intelligence, we're finding that there are more and more solutions today that will allow users and that will allow users to be able to react to information more quickly. 
Um, I think a lot of folks, when they hear machine learning, think that the computers are taking over and that yeah. the, it's going to replace the people. But the way that I see it impacting businesses is that it gets the right information to the right people at the right time. And so a lot of our clients have very smart, very capable people on their staffs that really just need to have the right information to be able to make a good informed decision. And that's what these softwares are really enabling them to do. Uh, they're able to enter in some of what they're seeing, whether it be product lead time or identify bottlenecks that are coming up. And it gives those people the tools to be able to go and take care of the situation. Excellent. And it sounds like based on what you're saying, there's some options for additional software support when it comes to being able to maximize what you can do with your supply chain right now. What about data and just kind of cleaning up your data, making it sparkly, usable, actionable, and um, that piece that will that help with these supply chain issues? You know, I, th I think that you know, the key word that you hit on in there is actionable. Um, the ability to take action on the information that's in your data and and allow that to take shape is really a benefit of these new systems and, and the technology that's available in the market today. Um, so it, it absolutely is. And, and the ability to take advantage of data that had been um, in a silo before that existed in one part of the business but was not readily available to another to take action on um, is a great opportunity for you to streamline business processes and to make the best decisions you can with the data that's available. Excellent. Well, those are all such great tactics. Anything else you want to share when it comes to best practices regarding supply chain? Yeah, you know, I, I think it in general, just taking a look at your entire process and, and sitting down and being thoughtful about how you want to go about doing things. Um, it's, it's so often that folks focus on running their business instead of working on their business. Mm -hmm. um, so taking that time to actually evaluate, does this make sense? Does this work with the current environment that we're in? Or, or is there an, an opportunity for us to pivot the way that we do things. Um, that's such a critical piece of running a successful business. And um, we're, we're fortunate that we've had clients that are, that are doing just that and bringing us on board to help them out with that. So um, continuing that exercise or, or starting that exercise for the first time is the biggest piece of advice I could give any business owner. Definitely being intentional about that supply chain mapping, it sounds like is really kind of the first step to you know, fixing any blockage that you may experience. So if some of our listeners or our community today want um, some additional information on supply chain resources, what would you suggest for them? I would recommend definitely reaching out to us uh, here at Third Stage. We really do good. We really do a good job of under working to understand a supply chain, all the components and pieces that go into it, um, and help to make recommendations on on how to streamline your processes and any opportunities for efficiencies. So yeah, um, I would definitely recommend reaching out to us. Uh, my contact information is included in the podcast notes. Um, we just published our 2021 digital transformation report. Um, we've got some recent supply chain videos, um, some great blog posts about the topic. So uh, definitely reach out to Third Stage and, and see how we can help you. That's my biggest recommendation. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Mitch, for being here today. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, 
and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organisations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberly here with Kyler Cheatham. Uh, Kyler, that was a really interesting discussion you had with, with Mitch and um, in, in our sister podcast with, with uh, the Digital Stratosphere podcast, uh, which, by the way, you can also find on the Third Stage YouTube channel, as well as on all the audio podcast platforms. You can find both this podcast, Transformation Ground Control, and our sister podcast, um, Digital Stratosphere, which tends to be more bite-sized podcast, I'd say, whereas Ground Control is the two-hour, you know, epic, long episodes Stratosphere is more of those bite-sized 15 to 30 minute types of uh, uh, segments. So uh, all that being said, what, what were some of your takeaways after that conversation with Mitch? Yeah, I think one of my biggest ones was just the ability or his recommendation to look at your distributor contracts and see if there isn't you know, a, dis a different distribution avenue or some renegotiation in there. I guess I never really considered that as something that was within kind of those controllables we talked about for an organization. And it sounds like that's something that a lot of the third stage clients are really looking at right now. Um, is that something you would kind of agree with? Yeah, I mean, I think right now, a lot of our clients are doing just about anything possible to really get a handle on this, you know, the supply chain efficiency and effectiveness and flexibility and transparency and all that stuff we, we've been talking about. Um, one thing that Adam mentioned in the panel discussion earlier that sort of um, aligns with that same mindset uh, that Mitch brought up is the example he gave in the panel discussion about how one of our clients is, had recently bought a pallet uh, manufacturer because they couldn't get enough pallets. And that's another example, by the way, of one small little seemingly tiny little detail in your supply chain that shouldn't cause a lot of problems, but it does. If you don't have pallets, you, have, you may have all the products available. You may have the truck sitting outside ready to ship it. Um, you know, you've got the container to load or whatever, but you don't have pallets to load it. That's, that's a problem. So uh, that's another example, though, of what clients are doing. They're getting real creative and innovative about how they get that vertical supply chain integration or, you know, better handle on the supply chain, whatever they need to do to make that happen. So it's a good, good example. Yeah, I guess I didn't know that there was so much diversity, like to an extent that you really can get creative in working with. So, for example, he gave um, that example of, of maybe you use for a little while some higher quality material and the customers have already proved within a specific industry with insights that they're willing to absorb that cost in order to actually get the goods that they need when they need them. Um, and I never really thought like, oh, maybe you would use a different uh, manufacturer for the plastic or those types of things that really takes kind of getting out there and working with the diversification of your, your vendor core network. Yeah, it, it it also begs the question of, you know, we started to touch on this in the opening segment, but it but we didn't go down this path. But, you know, if you look back uh, to the trends from that began, I think in the probably the 
mid to late eighties, I think it was, I was a kid, so I don't know exactly when it started, but, um, but somewhere in the eighties, I know that's when the whole globalization movement started as far as outsourcing, um, to other countries and sort of moving competencies outside of, uh, um, you know, your home country into other countries and the whole globalization movement really took hold in the eighties and nineties. And, um, this is sort of where we're at now is sort of causing, um, people to rethink that. And, and I think it was already starting. I mean, there's a lot of populist movements happening throughout the world, like in the US and France and UK, for sure, where there's sort of like a, a nationalist populist sort of movement politically. So you combine that with all these supply chain issues. Now, all of a sudden, companies, I think, are starting to say, is it worth having, you know, having to put a product or raw materials on a ship, on a container, having it sit there for six weeks until it gets to our port? And then it gets to the port and sits there for however many weeks until they can unload it. And then it has to be shipped to our facility. Is it worth that? Or do we, do we potentially pay more and just produce it here at home in our home country? So I think it's, it's, I don't, I doubt we're going to go back to a total nationalist sort of supply chain, but I think it's, it's causing people to rethink to your point, is it really worth whatever savings we're getting, especially when those savings are becoming uh, less significant over time as the standards of living you know, sort of increase in a lot of developing countries where a lot of the supply chain is based. Um, all, all those things, I think, are, are sort of up for rediscussion or reimagination at this point. Yeah. Or where are those goods, right? Maybe you get them from a Chinese manufacturer. Maybe you've even moved them to, say, if you're a U.S.-based company, to somewhere like Tijuana. So you actually can go physically yeah. and get them without, um, without, you know, having to use freight ships and things like that. Um, I, I can't, I think on the panel it was Adam that maybe it was um, Amy, somebody said um, that they basically have a client that has all of their, um, um, it was an A&D client um, that has all of their goods, no less than 12 hours from them, which is pretty interesting in the fact, like yeah. if you need something and, and that footprint is really shrinking to your point, just because shipping is so unreliable right now there's there's a lot of things that can go wrong within the actual transportation um, piece of your supply chain so all you know all great information and i said it on the um the digital stratosphere podcast but i just want to reiterate that mitch is super passionate about supply chain you can see he's very knowledgeable so if you do have questions about anything that he said um, feel free to reach out to him directly here at third stage. And we can also put you in touch with him too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, that is good stuff. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, a good, uh, you kind of reminded me of a, a, another thought that in project management, there's, I forgot what it's called. It's called, the, I think it's called the, the project management triangle where you, you have cost, quality, and speed or three dimensions of project management but you can't have all three of them at the same time. You have to pick, do you want cost quality, you know, which of those two of those three do you want? You, you have to give up one of them. So I think that's applies to supply chains as well. They have to, we have to start to think that, you know, in the past, I think we've been somewhat not lucky, but it's just been more a stable, a more stable world, a more predictable world up until 2020 to where we could get away with, um, you know, low cost, high quality and relative speed. But now I think what we're seeing is that with these, uh, fractions in the supply chain, you really do have to pick, you know, what's most important to you, what are your priorities, and then adjust your supply chain accordingly. So that's a good, you know, sort of a good takeaway that I took from that discussion you had with, with Mitch. Awesome. Yeah, good. Well, well, I hope, um, I appreciate, first of all, uh, Kyler, I appreciate you uh, in your content 
contributions on this. Uh, it's a very interesting topic. Every week's interesting doing this podcast with you, but this one in particular, I think is very interesting, mm -hmm. especially for much of the world right now. So I hope the audience enjoyed it as well. And uh, be sure to check us out every week, every Wednesday, we have new episodes of this podcast uh, on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the audio podcast platforms. But as Kyler mentioned, we also have our sister podcast, which is Digital Stratosphere. Uh, that is also available on YouTube and all the audio podcast platforms. And we have new episodes every Wednesday, but we also have on Mondays and Fridays, we put out uh, segments that are uh, sort of bite-sized segments that, that uh, I contribute to the Stratosphere podcast. So you can check those out as well. So uh, thank you everyone for joining today. Hope you have a great week and we will see you hopefully next week on Transformation Ground Control.